This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, I'm Dan from AJ Bell and Shares, and with me this week is Laith from AJ Bell. Hi there. So it's our final podcast of 2020. So we'll be taking a look at some of the best performing investments of the year. And I'll be talking to Mark Denham from Carmagnac about investing in European shares. Yeah, we're also going to be sharing with you some of the highlights of AJ Bell's end of year customer survey, just to give you some insight into what DIY investors are thinking right now. But first of all, Dan, um, 2020, we're coming towards the end of it. It's um, clearly not been a great year on on many fronts, but some investments have been uh, performing spectacularly well. Yeah, I was going through lots of different numbers um, fairly recently and also prep for this podcast. You do realise that I think you know, a lot of investors should have made some fairly decent returns this year. So, I, you know, I, I remember going back to February and March and you know, feeling very nervous, the same as lots of other people were, that obviously you know, the, the world was being turned upside down. Um, and then, you know, if you've got your hard-earned savings, they're sort of suddenly losing their value and anything. Oh God, you know, I just can't see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel here. How, how am I, uh, you know, how's life going to return to normal? Um, you know, how is everyone going to sort of try and avoid becoming ill? And, you know, you, you, you again, your hard earned savings, how am I going to sort of try and save them from being, um, you know, getting smaller and smaller, but you know, you, you fast forward now to towards the end of December. Um, there are some very impressive, stats here about how investments have been so what i've done i've I've gone through the funds investment trusts exchange traded funds and stocks and i thought it's worth going through each one because there are some very clear themes here um which tell us a lot about what what's going on and uh, and i think listeners you're going to find this quite interesting so i mean just before i do start I mean, Leith, what, what I mean, what's your sort of take about how has this year been from perhaps an investment perspective and also from a personal finance perspective as well? Yeah, I think, well, from an investment perspective, I think you're absolutely right. It feels like it's been quite a good year, but that is quite strange as well in the context of what's been happening in terms of global health and, and the global economy. Um, and there does just seem to be a bit of a mismatch between, you know, how bad you know, the hit to the economy has been and how, you know, well, quite a lot of stock markets have have performed, I guess, probably, you know, thinking about the FTSE, for instance, is probably down, what, around 10% or so over the course of the last year. And if you look back to the financial crisis, well, that's kind of a comparison in terms of, you know, a pretty, pretty bad crisis. It was down around 40% in a year. So it just feels that there's a bit of a mismatch. And I guess part of that is that, you know, central banks have kind of risen to the rescue, haven't they, with huge liquidity packages, which they did back in kind of 2009, but it probably took a bit bit, bit, bit longer for them to get there. Um, and I guess from a personal finance um, point of view, it's it's a tale of, of, of two cities, really, because you do have people who've obviously been very badly impacted uh, by the pandemic. Um, so you've got a lot of people who have low financial resilience is the way the FCA puts it. Basically, they're struggling to make ends meet. But at the same time, 
You've got people who haven't been impacted in terms of their income, who still kept their jobs, haven't been able to go down to the pub or to restaurants to, to, to spend their money, not spending probably as much on clothes either. Um, and they've been able to squirrel away lots uh, and lots of money. So um, we've seen that in terms of, you know, the, the amount of, of money that's been put into cash savings, about £150 billion over the course of, of 2020, which is, which is a huge amount. So, you know, a, a, bit of, um, a, a bit of dissonance in both markets and personal finance, I think, Dan. Yeah, so if we, if we look at the fund space first, you, you'll see some very clear themes here that are linked to um, what's gone on in the world um, during 2020. So the top performing fund was Bailey Gifford American up 107%. I mean, that is, you know, you doubled your money there. That's fantastic. So this fund invests in companies like Tesla, Amazon, and Wayfair. So obviously Tesla's playing into the idea of the world shifting more towards electric vehicles. Um, And, you know, as a business, it's been having success, sort of finally making you know, big progress on, on lots of levels. So um, that's why its share price has gone up. Amazon Wayfair obviously linked to um, the retail, you know, online retail boom that we've seen this year. Uh, and, and don't forget, Amazon is also linked to cloud computing. But I'm, I'm going to touch on that a bit later on. But the, the second best performing fund of the year was BGF Next Gen Technology. This is up 93%. And this is sort of a mixture of US, UK and Asian stocks lots of things connected here with gaming and and tech and again there's you know tesla is in there as well so um gaming has been a very popular um pastime for people you know stuck at home locked down they want to do something um and it's a way to actually you know interact digitally with with other people um and you know gaming companies have seen a massive boom and so there's a couple of other funds that caught my eye in sort of the, the, the fund space, and they all seem to be run by Bailey Gifford. So Bailey Gifford long-term global growth is up 87% in the year. And, and you know, there's lots of other Bailey Gifford funds in there. And it's been a, you know, a fantastic year for that asset manager. And you know, I had a look at Bailey Gifford long-term global growth. And on the website, it says, it's you know we're looking for what's the most exciting investment opportunities over the long term. Um, and you know, in that portfolio, you've got, your Tesla, your Amazon, um, your Tencent, Alibaba. But I just get the feeling that the, you know these have been fantastic stocks, but they're in so many funds now. So many global funds have them as well. And it, it, I just think that um, it's, it's almost like you're, you, know, you want to put money into fund, actively managed funds to try and beat the market. But you know, the, essentially the market is being dominated by these names and i wonder if there's going to be shift to to looking for some sort of less popular names next year to see to try and to try and, as a way of beating the market i mean I, Leith, do you know do you know much about um alibaba and tencent the chinese big names i'm sure you must be familiar with them but yeah i i am and i think it's it's an interesting point because i think bailey gifford as an investment house generally have a particular style in terms of the way they go about investing which is to look for particularly growth investments so they're not kind of at the value end of the range at all they are in the kind of stuff that that is going to grow and they have had you know a, a big focus on on global tech and kind of probably the biggest kind of most most famous proponent of that within bailey gifford is is the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. 
Um, and quite a lot of the companies that, uh, sorry, the funds that have done well this year at Bailey Gifford do hold Tesla because it's a stock that's gone up eightfold. Um, and that's that's a big, um, you know, that's obviously a big um, tailwind to performance. But I, I, I do think it's also right to kind of question how long that can go on for. But, you know, we could have probably have been sitting here last year, Dan, and, and probably had a very similar conversation. Yeah. And on, on the investment trust space, again, it's, you know, the, the top ones are Bailey Gifford Pacific Horizons and Bailey Gifford's US Global Trust. I mean, both of those are up more than 100%. Um, yeah, it's again, it's this sort of playing to big themes. So e-commerce, cloud and computing, gaming. But if you go a bit further down the list, um, a couple of them caught my eye. One was JP Morgan, China and growth income up 83%. So you think that China, whilst it was one of the, you know, seemed to be one of the first places to obviously really suffer from coronavirus, it's also one of the first to recover from it. Um, and the recovery has been very strong. And so I think if you go back to January and February, I don't think anyone would have predicted this would be a fantastic year for Chinese equities, but they would have been completely wrong. Um, you know, this JP Morgan fund just shows how um, how quickly that sort of area has bounced back. And, and the other one that caught my eye is Biotech Growth um, Trust, which is up 61%. So biotech is another sector which you know, for, for many years people just won't t- wouldn't touch at all no one really understands the science of it and it's a very binary outcome a company either gets a drug that works or it completely fails and this and the failure rate is very high but you know this has definitely been a year where people um, it, in the right space would have would have would have made some money on biotech and it's also it's the year that Pershing Square Investment Trust made it into the FTSE 100. Now, the FTSE 100 tends to be associated with big, solid, uh, well-known companies that have been around for years. You don't really expect to see Investment Trust getting in there. But now we've got um, Scottish Mortgage and Pershing Square. It's, It's quite interesting sort of development. Um, so if you look at the ETF space, so an ETF for those listeners who aren't familiar, that it's it's stands for Exchange Traded Fund. So it, it tracks um, a specific basket of shares. And, and, and if this basket goes up, say, by 5%, your ETF will do exactly the same thing. Um, and it's what's known as a passive investment. So here, the best performer was the iShares Global Clean Energy. So this is up 94%. And it, it tracks an index of the 30 largest or 30 of the largest global companies involved in the clean energy sector. So, Lays, I know you've been looking at a bit of ETF stuff recently, mm. haven't you? So what, did yeah. you, you, you it'll catch your eye, the, this clean energy one? Yeah, clean energy was one that caught my eye. Um, and that's obviously been on the back of, uh, you know, a pretty good year in terms of kind of the focus on renewable investment. And of course, probably, you know, the election of Joe Biden with, you know, his plans to to pump more, more money into that space. I guess probably, you know, the the other one, which is a bit of a weird and wacky one, which which caught my eye was was Bitcoin as well. Um, that's that there's a, there's a tracker fairly niche um a tracker fund for bitcoin which has done very well this year but you know we've kind of been here um before before with bitcoin haven't we and yeah you know it's you know the, the last time it got to this kind of level it, it kind of fell like a stone pretty promptly afterwards so <laughs> you know I, I you know i do I, I do i do look at those things and I, I i think kind of you know if you want to put money into bitcoin i think fine but make sure it's a small amount that you're 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 willing to lose really but um 
you know that that that's probably one of the themes and, and as you say the kind of renewable renewable energy theme with that iShares you know global clean energy doing really well and it's been a you know a popular investor investment with um the DIY investors as well this year yeah and so what, another big strong performer was wisdom tree cloud computing etf so that's up 90% in the year so there's a big shift towards cloud computing across businesses consumers which is essentially storing and accessing data and programs over the internet instead of your computer's hard drive. So it, for, for those of you at home, uh, if you might be familiar with Google Drive, um, you know that's a cloud computing service. Or if you're an Apple fan, you might use the iCloud um, service to, to store your photos and sort of back up your, your emails and stuff like that. And, and a big part of Amazon, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, lies in its cloud service business called AWS. So it's, it's not just about being a retailer. Amazon's massive in the cloud computing. So um, yeah, I think, you know, this is, ETFs is a, is a very interesting space. In America, they're incredibly popular, not so much in the UK, but I do see popularity slowly increasing here. I think people just mm. thinking, well, you know, I can, get, I can get an investment product for a lot cheaper generally than I would pay for an, for an active manager. Um, and, you know, particularly if I can't be bothered to keep checking in on my investments all the time, I just want to simply track what the market's doing. Um, you can see why um, they, they are slowly becoming more popular in this country. So if you just now take a look at some of the stocks that have done well in 2020. So I sort of split the, the market into the size of companies. So among the bigger companies, so this is all four billion plus. Um, Fresnillo's the top performer, so this is up seventy eight percent in the year. So this is a this is sort of um, a silver and gold producer. Gold has been well, and silver has been very much um, in favour this year in, in a backdrop of um, uncertainty. People tend to flock to to gold as sort of a supposed safe haven asset. Ocado has done very well, is up 75%, really playing to um, its strengths because it's been saying for years that there's been a shift, there's going to be a shift towards people ordering more goods, i.e., more of their, their food and drink online, specifically for its industry. Um, and it, it really helps companies now to, to set up um, operations to improve their online grocery capabilities. And the other one that's done really well is Flutter, which is, you might not know the name, but it's, just, it's the owner of Paddy Power and Betfair. Um, you know, they've been making big strides in America with that, with that sort of uh, legal gambling markets opening up and their shares up 64%. So um, so just quickly on, on the sort of the medium-sized companies, Greatland Gold is up 1,720%. Um, this is a uh, gold exploration company that thinks it's found masses and masses of gold in Australia. Um, AO is up 314% and Indivior is up 162%. So I think, you know, these are clear examples here that if you put your money in the stock market and you back the right company, you can do very well. I think we, I mean, later you, you probably know this is um, quite well. You know, the historical average is about seven percent, isn't it, a year that you should, you might want to expect to make from a from equities. Do you think that's right? I would think so. Yeah, yeah, that's probably about the right ballpark, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you take seven percent as a sort of a, a goal with equities in in a sort of a good year, to have. 100 plus percent is, um, you know, it's just amazing. But I think people sh mustn't ever think that they're going to get that every year. 
Um, that's that's you know being incredibly lucky, but you know there's a couple of companies that people aren't talking about, which I which, which caught my eye. And I thought this is interesting. So Admiral, the boring old insurance company, that's up twenty three percent this year. I mean, you wouldn't have thought insurance would be doing very well. You know, there was a great period where we're all stuck at home. Um, you know, people weren't even driving their cars for quite a while. So it's, that's quite amazing. And also, Wizz Air is up sixteen percent. You know, the, the airline industry is on its knees. And yet this company has managed to um, get enough support from shareholders who seem convinced about its long-term growth prospects. Of course, investing in stock markets is about taking a view about the future. It's not about the past. So uh, that might explain why shares are up so much this year. Um, I thought it'd be worth touching on some things, what to think about next year. But actually, Leith, what I want to do is ask you a bit about your survey that, that AJ Barr's done. And I think maybe we'll, mm. we'll come back to my bit because I think it might make sense to to get to sort of gauge the mood of the general public first. So what was the mm. mood are our DIY investors in at the moment? Yeah, well, this was the, the AJ Bell survey of DIY investors. Around 2,000 DIY investors have participated. And I'd probably say overall, the mood is actually quite bullish. I mean, we've we've asked questions really about the market rather than anything else, because that's kind of, I guess, what we're all interested in. But we've had some, you know, pretty, um, you know, pretty positive responses in terms of prospects for the market. So we asked people where they thought the FTSE 100 would be by the end of next year. Um, so three quarters think uh, it will be above 7,000. So it's where where are we now? About 6,500, somewhere there or thereabouts. So, you know, a fairly, a fairly you know, chunky rise over next year. A quarter actually thought it would rise by, by over 15% to 7,500 or beyond. And that would probably put it somewhere near its, its, its all-time record, which is in the, in the, in the 7, 800s. Um, and, and probably worth bearing in mind that the benchmark index, the FTSE 100, doesn't include dividends either, which which adds another kind of three or four percent returns. So, so you know, I think people are are are, are pretty positive um, uh, about prospects for the market next year. Um, I think it would be a different conversation, Dan, probably if if we were, um, you know, if, if we hadn't had positive trial results for the vaccine and the vaccine wouldn't be be rolled out. I think I don't think things would be so, so optimistic. Um, but but it also looks like 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 you like DIY investors are actually going out next year with with an idea of buying the UK market because that was the the most popular area they said where they were going to allocate to next year. Um, Asia emerging markets and the US were also um, fairly fairly popular choices for that, and and probably not surprisingly, very few people looking to increase their allocation to cash and bonds with kind of interest rates uh, where they where they are at the moment. And I think as well, it's kind of, you know, the background reasons why pink people are thinking of, of, of investing more. We, we, we ask people, are you going to invest more? And around four in 10 said, yes, we're going to actually invest more next year. And when we boil down kind of why that was, probably the biggest factor um, was low interest rates on, uh, on cash. Um, six out of 10 basically said that it's because they can't get um, you know any return on, on, on their cash that they're thinking about investing in the market. And that's probably, I guess, particularly the case as, as we've just kind of discussed before on this pod, um, because you know a lot of people have been able to to store away a lot of money over the course of, of the pandemic if they manage to to kind of keep their uh, keep keep their income. They don't have as many expenditure as much expenditure. 
Um, and, and other reasons are, are because some, you know people thought that the market is actually attractively valued, and a fair number of people, around uh, one in five, saying that they were looking to invest more because um, they are concerned that tax reliefs are going to be withdrawn. That's probably probably pensions tax relief there that they're talking about, which may possibly be on the chopping block for the umpteenth time in the budget um, in March if the government is looking to balance its finances. So um, all in all, I think, you know, it was, it was very much a picture of of investors, I think, being, being cautiously optimistic about uh, the prospect for markets next year. That's, that's really interesting. I, and I kind of would have expected that to be the answer. So having a look at the latest Bank of America fund manager survey, which we talk about quite a bit on the podcast. So this is um, a regular sort of testing um, the waters in terms of how the big institutional investors are thinking at the moment. And I think they're thinking this, they seem to be seeing the same thing as well, that their cash levels have fallen to 4%. So this is this is very low. So a less a small amount of cash means that they're you know they, they think that there's plenty of chances to make money from equities they're not being cautious um bank of america sells that believes that's a sell sign it reckons it's we, we could be at peak optimism i mean this is perhaps not the you know anyone looking for a sort of um things it's got all, all nice and cheery it's always worth considering both sides of the coin here with, with investing is like well if everyone is happy does that mean that if we get a disappointment somewhere that there could be really big shock in the market. And so it got me thinking, I, I, I keep seeing stories about the vaccine um, and people saying, oh, it'll be rolled out and by spring it'll all be fine. And then sort of you realise that it's not going to be by spring, is it? It's going to be summer or now people are saying that, I read, I read stories this morning saying it might not be, you know, people might still not be vaccinated by the end of next year. So I, I think that the vaccine taking longer to roll out than expected could see some companies disappoint in terms of their earnings recovery. Um, I mean, that, that could be something that will play out later in the year. But I, you know, at the moment, we're, we're sort of quite, the, the news is all about what we're going to do at Christmas. Should there be tougher rules again? Um, infection rates are sort of still quite high. Um, you know, only a few people are being vaccinated. And, and I wonder whether we're going to get um, a shock in January. Now, January tends to be, particularly the first few weeks, uh, prime time for shocks. I mean, I remember that we, we had one with the oil price a year ago, uh, really destabilized, destabilized the markets for uh, a couple of days. And then I'm going back, I think there was something related with China um, a few years before that. Uh, and I just think that if everyone's so so optimistic now, um, yeah, it could really, you know, it doesn't, wouldn't take much to sort of derail markets temporarily. But then People might just turn around and say, "Well, you know, we've we've seen how quickly it bounces back, and they'll just go shopping for for stocks again." But just something to to bear in mind, not to get too carried away with um, all all these sort of talk of three digit increases for for share prices and and funds and um, and people thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to invest even more money." Just just be careful. Don't get too carried away. I think I'm being too grumpy, Lath. No, I think that is exceptionally wise advice, actually. Um, and I think, yeah, all of that is absolutely true. And, um, you know, in, I think in the short term, you know, markets are are pretty irrational beasts, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, actually kind of looking over the FTSE over a one year term is a little bit of a coin toss. Um, I think 
you know, when markets come into their own is if you're investing, you know, over the longer term, I know also it is boring, but that is, you know, the reality is that actually, if you look at the dispersion of returns over 10 or 20 years, it is much lower. Um, and actually, you get a more steady return for, from the market if you're willing to put your money away. So that's really how I would suggest kind of thinking about investing is, is kind of with that very long term view in, in mind. And yeah, I mean, you can probably, you know, do a little bit around the edges in terms of, you know, thinking, you know, actually, the market looks cheap now or looks expensive, but that shouldn't be the core of your strategy. Um, that should kind of be a little bit of an add on, I think. Sounds like a very wise word. So uh, let's move on to our guest interview this week, which features Mark Denham, who's the head of European equities at Carmignac. So Mark manages various funds, including Carmignac European Leaders, which has achieved really impressive 24% return this year versus 5.3% from its benchmark. So I thought it'd be interesting to, to get Mark on the show to talk about um, the attractions of investing in European shares, given that there will be investors who are annoyed at how poorly some of the UK shares have performed in 2020. There are definitely parts of the UK market which have struggled. So um, let's hear what Mark has to say. So Mark, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Not at all. Uh, You're welcome. Um, So how have you managed to do so well this year with the European Leaders Fund in terms of outperformance? Yeah, I mean, clearly 2020 has been a, a, a unique year in many ways. Um, and, I, and I think there are really two main components to the strength of our performance uh, this year. Um, I think to begin with, I have to explain a little bit about how we invest. We focus on companies in Europe that can, to a large degree, grow under their own steam and exhibit certain um, quality, high quality characteristics such as high return on capital, internal reinvestment of profits to develop the business for the future and stable profitability through a business cycle. And many, many of the uh, sectors and and stocks that that process leads us to invest in, such as many areas within healthcare, like pharmaceuticals or um, med tech companies, or uh, many companies benefiting from a secular trend, whether it be renewable energy, whether it be improved um, building uh, renovation uh, regulations and so on. fit into that, would fit into that category. And they have higher than average visibility of future profits and sales. So when um, when we initially went into the, the COVID crisis in, in March, February, March time, uh, those companies, of course, their stock prices fell, but they didn't fall as much as uh, some other, perhaps more economically sensitive stocks um, in the market. And one of the companies, uh, in, in its public knowledge, because it's in, in our top 10 holdings, would be Schneider Electric, it's an electrical engineering kind of bellwether, really, um, but it is benefiting a lot from uh, investment in electric, electrical infrastructure. For instance, to accommodate renewable energy, we need to upgrade, uh, upgrade our, our electrical grids and, and develop them into so-called smart grids. Um, there's more um, electrical infrastructure required for the huge growth in data centers as, as economies digitize, and of course, ultimately, uh, future growth um, to support electric vehicles through, through infrastructure for them. So among other reasons, that, that, that's one of the, the, the secular growth companies that, that we like. Um, and, and that would have outperformed and it did outperform during this, this process of, of the market correcting in, in February because of its, its higher than average visibility. And we have many names like that. Novo Nordisk, the, the large cap pharmaceutical company, was another, another uh, stalwart for us during that period. Now, even though the market fell dramatically in, in February and March, 
we we didn't change our process. We still stick to this framework of um, of investing in high quality businesses with the characteristics that I mentioned. But of course, because of their end market sensitivity, some some companies in certain sectors, sectors exposed to, for instance, catering, travel, leisure, um, high quality businesses were also very badly affected. And so it was a great opportunity for us to add names to the portfolio that previously uh, had seemed too expensive for us. And one example there would be um, Amadeus, the, uh, the the airline software company. It's a, it's a company that makes software primarily for two uh, applications. One is the booking of um, air travel air, air tickets through travel agents, and and the other one is actually to sell uh, uh, software to the airlines directly to help them with their boarding and their booking uh, processes. Now, clearly, with air travel collapsing in Q2 down more than ninety percent. Uh, their revenues, which are very activity-related, fell by a similar amount, and and that's why the stock price was dramatically hit in 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 March. But that was a great opportunity for us. We have a three to five-year time horizon. We think ultimately um, we will emerge from this COVID crisis and and return to some form of normalcy. So it was a it was an opportunity to add a business that would benefit from the recovery, and we added four or five names along similar lines. Um, that as as the market recovered, and in particular as we got the vaccine news um, a few weeks ago, that you know the good the good uh, results from Pfizer and from Moderna, that um, these stocks these stocks participated in the sharp rally that we saw, and so added another leg to if you like to the performance. So it's if you like the, to summarize, it's the backbone is the high visibility, high quality names. But then we were able, as a result of the crisis, to add some more economic sensitivity, all still in high quality names in stocks that had, for whatever reason, been weak as a result of, of the COVID crisis. I mean, you, you talk a lot about quality there, but you know, value has been um, in fashion recently, I mean, in perhaps sort of the last um, sort of six weeks. So has your performance sort of suffered because um, investors are looking more value than quality or, or have your names actually sort of stood up quite well? I th- okay, let's... Well, first of all, let's let's take a step back when we talk about quality and growth, because everyone defines those terms slightly differently. I mean, I think I would, first of all, I mean, you're right that most people would characterize our approach as a quality growth um, focus, focusing on, on the quality of businesses we, we invest in. And that investment style broadly has, has had a very strong run pretty much ever since the global financial crisis. It's been, uh, it, 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 it's, had, it's had a great performance. Um, and therefore, other sectors, perhaps more disrupted sectors like the oil sector, the, the banking sector, have, have have underperformed and have lagged, and they've been characterised as the value sectors. And then, when we when we do have periods of uh, a switch in opt- from pessimism to optimism, such as when we got the vaccine news, those sectors they have their day in the sun, they they rally hard, and and um, and it might be more than a day, it might be a, a few weeks, it might be a month, or even a quarter. But I think over over the uh, any period longer than that, especially the three to five year time horizon that we focus on, um, and I've been doing European equities for 28 years, uh, focusing on businesses that can grow under their own steam uh, is by far uh, the better approach. Um, and um, and that's why our, we, we, we stick with our focus and we don't change, we don't chase those um, those particularly uh, strongly performing sectors since, since the vaccine news. Um, and I'd also say that um, it, it does it create a headwind for us in terms of our performance because we don't own those sectors uh, and we won't own them? Yes, it does. But then that's offset by the fact that these recovery plays, names like Amadeus and the three or four other names that we bought um, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the trough of the crisis, also participate hugely in the rally that we saw with the vaccine news. And so to some extent, 
we were protected by our activity that we'd taken uh, earlier in the year in the portfolio. So what do, do, do you think that, um, a, a UK-EU trade deal or node deal would have any impact on companies in your portfolio? Um, one would have thought um, there would definitely be some sort of impact. Um, I mean, I think there will be. So, you know, I mean, inevitably, the, you know, whether we get a deal, uh, whatever what type of deal we get, or whether we don't get a deal, um, there'll be some impact. Um, it's almost impossible to predict exactly what that will be um, on, on, on a specific company. And I think that really is, is one example and underlines the fact that, A, we're, we're primarily a bottom-up in, in investor. We just focus on what the businesses can, can, can control, what their, uh, what their strategy is and what businesses they're in, um, rather than relying on external predicting, external macroeconomic events like, and Brexit's an extreme example of that. Um, I would also say that because the, the focus of, our, of the stocks in our portfolio are companies that have an element of uh, secular growth, whether it's taking market share, whether they're selling a product that is just growing faster than, than economic growth, um, it gives us an ability, hopefully, to ride out um, any, any temporary headwind caused by any disruption associated with, with the, the EU trade deal. Um, so, so, yeah, I can't really get, give a more specific answer than that. Yeah. So I, I know that a lot of um, investors who are invested in UK stocks would have been a bit frustrated with the performance from the, the big names in the sort of the FTSE 100 or the FTSE 250. So what does mainland Europe offer to investors that perhaps they can't get from the London market? Well, look, I mean, the first of all, the London market is it has great companies in it. It's a broad and, and, and deep market. But I think if you look at continental Europe, I mean, I think there are some world-leading businesses that continental Europe specializes in. And, and um, examples would be, for instance, in the luxury goods sectors with, with companies like LVMH, which owns Louis Vuitton or Hermes, um, or Hermes, a separate company, um, or sportswear companies like Adidas and Puma. Um, there are technology giants, really, um, in you know, global leaders in their respective niches in technology in Europe, such as ASML, the semiconductor equipment company, or SAP, the German software company, ADN, the, the payments company. Um, I'd also say uh, Europe, continental Europe, leads the world in um, renewable energy. You know, two of the three largest wind turbine companies are European, Siemens Gamesa, and the company that we own, Vestas. The only pure play investment you can make of any scale in offshore wind farm development as a pure play is a Danish company called Orsted. So there are a lot of ways to participate in renewable energy um, in continental Europe. And as it so happens, we also try to go off the beaten track a little bit and invest in biotech. And in Europe, we are, we've identified three biotech stocks, which have great uh, you know, products and pipelines and their Argenics, um, uh, Morphosis and Zealand. Um, I'm not going to make any forward-looking statements for, for, for you know, regulatory reasons, but just, you know, these are great innovative companies and, you know, these are large multi-billion euro market values. You know, we don't have to go to small illiquid companies to, to, to participate in the biotech sector in, in, in continental Europe. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned renewable energy there. I, I, you know, within your funds, I, I noticed that you've got... Um, obviously, you've got Vestas Wind Systems and, and there's the name Kingspan as well. So, I mean, yeah. it, these... These companies are very popular with um, lots of funds that are sort of badged as ESG or, or green. I, I'm just wondering if there's a risk that everyone's sort of chasing the same style 
ESG stocks. And, um, you know, if the earnings growth doesn't match expectations, there could be a real big disappointment, actually. And so many funds would suffer from their performance um, because they've sort of all been chasing the sort of the same names. I think I think in, in, in any moment where, you know, and, and you're right, that the, the whole renewable and, and let's be broader than just renewable energy, because you, you talked about Kingspan there, the whole green theme um, is certainly um, a secular trend that people are looking to um, benefit from. And consequently, that means that, you know, uh, the prospects of these companies are seen as favorable. Therefore, the valuations of these companies increase. And so I think what what's really required here is to really have really strong discipline about the, 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 the modeling of, of the or forecasts for these companies and the, the value of, uh, above which you're not prepared to, to, to own them or, or to pay for them. So I think you need to be careful with the discipline uh, there. Um, I'd also say, you know, yes, I mean, even if one isn't an ESG fund or, or an SRI fund or, or, or whatever, you know, you still have to be aware that there's a, there, there's a favorable secular trend towards renewable energy. So even somebody who isn't labeled any of those funds would want to participate in a strong prospect um, uh, anyway. So that would create this tension between perhaps high valuations and is the valuation too much or, too, or still uh, attractive for the, for, for the superior prospect, for the superior growth prospects. Um, I, I think the second issue is, is there simply so much weight of money being sucked into ESG or green funds that it's in and of itself because those funds have to kind of chase the, those stocks, propelling valuations to even higher levels. Um, again, you know, our view is that, you know, the prospects for, you know, for renewable energy and, and many of the other aspects of, of the green theme are, they're not just here for the next few years, they're here for the next few decades. And, uh, you know, there's so much growth ahead of us. Every week that goes by, for instance, um, you know, one energy authority or another upgrades their ultimate size of, of, you know, whether it's the offshore wind market or the, the solar farm market and so on. So these things are increasing all of the time. Um, and so I think, I think while there's still upward movement in in expectations and forecasts, I, I you know on our analysis, you know valuations are are still um, at appealing levels for for those for the certainly for the names you mentioned and for many names in the sector. Okay, so uh, at the start I mentioned that we were talking about performance of the European Leaders Fund, but you you also run um, the Carmignac Portfolio Grand Europe Fund as well. Could, could, it might be helpful if you sort of explain the difference between those two products. Yeah, so when I, I mean, I joined Carmignac four years ago, and the uh, I took over management of Carmignac Grand Europe, which you've just mentioned. That is a it's a pan European fund, so it's a Europe including UK uh, retail fund, um, and it's also a CCAV, so a, a, a legal a particular legal structure of fund, um, and we, we sell that fund in pretty much uh, every European country that, that Carmignac operates in, but in the UK. Um, there's a because so many people invest independently in UK equities as an asset class that when they think of Europe they want Europe excluding UK and so in order to um, you know help people with their investments in Europe we also launched a year and a half ago our Europe excluding UK fund which is FP Carmen at European leaders which is a it is it excludes uh, UK stocks so it doesn't have any UK stocks in it. Um, and it's an OIC structure. Other than that, every name that's in, uh, you know, the overlap, excluding the UK names, there's pretty much um, identical uh, list of stocks in FP Carmignac European Leaders and Carmignac Grand Europe. It's just that Carmignac Grand Europe, in addition, has some UK names such as uh, Ashted, um, Experian, Compass. I mean, do, do you 
you know, the, the the names that you you perhaps would like in the UK. I, I presume there must be European equivalents. Um, that you could perhaps look at if if you know for one of your funds can't can't invest in the UK. Sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. I mean, clearly with with names like Compass, there's clearly Sodexo, which is the French equivalent, which is a very similar, uh, you know, certainly experiencing similar headwinds to Compass and, and hopefully will have similar long-term uh, benefits uh, to Compass. So there's a nice substitute there. Similarly, um, Burberry, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Europe is, is has some great luxury goods companies in LVMH and, and Hermes. Um, I think there, on the other side, there are perhaps one or two stocks in our pan-European fund that there aren't really European equivalents for. Um, Ashted would be one, the, the equipment rental company, um, or, uh, yeah, Experian, the, uh, the data and, and credit management company. So, you know, there are, we, you know, clearly we, you know, it's a very bottom-up process and whatever the mandate, whether it's Europe, including UK, Europe, excluding UK, we're looking for the best kind of 35 to 40 stocks we can identify. Um, and... Yeah, uh, but you know, I think largely they're, they're very, very similar funds, with, with the exception of no UK exposure anymore. Brilliant. Well, Mark, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been really fascinating to hear what you're up to. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. Okay, that's everything from us for this week and for this year. In fact, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and if you have, then please do share it with anyone else you think might be interested. For now, though. I think all that remains is to wish you a Merry Christmas and we'll catch up with you in the new year. Yeah, have a great Christmas. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.